Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. Welcome back to our next episode of Knit a Spell. Hey, Jim, guess what? Today we have a guest. Oh, our first guest. And it's only our fourth episode. I think we're doing pretty well. Actually, I think this might be our fifth episode. Can you even believe it? I've lost track. I can't believe I made such a terrible <laughs> error. What will we ever do? Our well, your fifth replacement episode. won't make that same mistake. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Ow. Uh, that's right. That's right. Well, without any further ado, who is allow our guest? me to introduce Amanda Manis, who I personally know from working um, back in the day at Scassell. She hosted many a crochet along events, which I had the honor of helping her with. And she even taught me how to crochet in the long run, which I feel like is a huge feat. Um, Amanda also has her own brand of uh, knitting and crochet design patterns, which you can find at mandobugcrafts.com. And she also has an amazing line of blended fibers that she uses your pet's fibers along with other fibers to create yarn out of your pet's fibers. And it's okay, called ho- Wooly Fur. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Yes. You, let's, well, here, let's we, first let's, I welcome can't in Amanda. Yes. yes. <laughs> Welcome, Amanda. Woo! She's Hi, everyone. Thank Yay. you guys so much for having me. I'm super excited. Oh, it's a wonderful first guest. Couldn't have asked for anyone better. <laughs> Thank you. So totally been waiting to talk about this because when we first were talking about um, like having an episode on fibers, mm. having an uh, like what is the connection between magic metaphysics and crafting and making and fiber arts in particular Mm. and of course i thought about all of the materials people could use and then katie said there's people who like i thought about like oh could we use human hair that'd be kind of spooky and weird and like super magical potentially Mm. or like my kitty cat like can muffy become you know a muff (laughs) right (laughs) and and then katie's like well actually Yes. And so I'm thrilled that you're here. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. <laughs> yes. So, I would love to know. Yeah, I think you're going to ask this too. Yeah, how you please. got into this, like how, I mean, how you got into making in general, of course, but then specifically how you ended up um, even coming up with this great idea. I mean, definitely the idea has been around for a while. So it's not an original idea to me, but um, I'd been spinning for a couple of years. And when I decided to get into the dog fur area, it happened to be through a friend of mine. She is kind of teaches in the area, like local agility classes, and now she's into herding classes. And so she knows a lot of people that have several breeds of dogs that they really care about. And they're always looking for ways to you know, keep momentums of their pets. And so Mm. that's kind of how I got started into it. A friend of hers had a border collie and was like, I heard that you can make yarn out of dog fur. And so I took it and started doing it that way. But actually before I started, I was in contact with another woman already doing it. So she was, had a listing on Etsy and she was spending 100% dog fur. And so I reached out to her when the border collie, border collie gal came to me and I was like hey you know this is something someone's interested in I'm interested in playing around with it what does that look like for you and how do I even go about this so she kind of mentored me through the process Um, her name is simply homespun I think she still has listings on Etsy and so immediately I realized that I didn't want to do 100% dog fur it's kind of a finer softer fiber and a lot of breeds have shorter staple lengths so that's Mm. that length of their fur that comes off their body and it is along the lines of something like angora where it's really hot so Ah. and it tends to be a little bit weaker right you don't usually see 100% angora yarns either because it's it's too hot and it's a little fragile so I started blending most of my orders actually all of my orders with at least wool and Hmm. um, and that kind of started back when I started uh, processing sheep fleece raw So I got a drum carter to process the raw fleece. And so that's kind of how I started blending the wool with the dog fur. And the 
the yarn that results is so much better <laughs> than a hundred percent in my opinion. And yeah. my customers have been super happy with it because it's more wearable if that's what they want to do with it. Uh, but most people that contact me for an order are looking for um, at least a momentum. Not all mm. of them wear it. Most of them do, but they just want something to remember their pets by. I'd say at least half of the pets are no longer with us. So oh. they, they have that to bring them comfort sometimes actually physically right because you put that scarf or hat on it's like remembering that hug right yes oh wow that's very powerful okay and thus the name woolly fur because it's wool and fur okay very good wow what a beautiful memento to have for your pet like and i love how that is uh, one of the things about when you're cuddling with your pup or with your kitten mm-hmm. is they're warm. They're these other little amazing companions that generate heat sometimes too much. If you're in the bed with that one pet that you had, mm-hmm. that was always like, ah, get off me. <laughs> right. Yep. And so for sure, that is such a cool analogy, like a scarf or a hat or something that has uh, you know, beloved pet fur in it is amazing, amazing. And I love hearing about some of the technology behind it, like figuring out the length of the fiber. I mean, I'm just new mm-hmm. to all of this. So thinking about like, oh, right, fiber length and the strength of the fiber and whether it like is itchy or, or it's like, you know, whether it blends and all, all that kind of stuff is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. What a cool thing. Gosh, is it... Are you only doing wool blends? Have you um, gone out into any other types of fibers to blend in with the the pet fur at all? So a lot of the customers that come to me aren't really sure of the technical side, right? They are not Mm. really sure like what goes into spinning a yarn and what makes a final product something that's usable. So they usually leave that up to me and they, and I start with the recommendation of, you know, 50% wool, 50% dog fur, depending on the breed, we can adjust to what we want our end product to be. Um, So that's mostly where I'm at. But I did make bats for a friend who wanted to spin her own pet's fur. And she's a fiber artist. So she came at me with, hey, I've got these mohair locks and I've got this Angora and I got some, you know, this sparkly Angelina. I want to glitz it up. And so you can be really creative if you kind of have a like a foundation knowledge Um, You can, Mm. it can be really fun. Um, And I know like right off the bat, like just thinking about dog fur in a yarn is, is disgusting to some people, honestly. (laughs) Right. Cause I mean, dogs shed all over your house where you don't want it to be. And you're like, uh, gross. I don't want this, but you don't think that when you pet your pet, right? You're not like, Ooh, gross. You are so gross. (laughs) What happens to hair and fur when it comes off the body? I don't know. That's I think when the change happens, (laughs) but you're totally right. If it's attached to the animal, then it's, wonderful and where we bury our face in it yes the minute minute it becomes a dust buffalo that is collected under the couch it's somehow gross but you pull your face off of the cat and it's on you still that's unacceptable suddenly (laughs) (laughs) but you're that's such a great distinction because right actually that is still like a fiber is a fiber right yeah Mm -hmm. i mean has anyone ever seen raw goat uh um like shorn goat, that is the further, that's the opposite of clean or cute. Lanolin does not have the most dis- wonderful odor either. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I think it comes down to like your expectation and control of the fiber, right? When you find it, when you don't expect it, you're like, uh, is this even clean? I don't want this on me. But having that control, having it spun in, you can clean it at the end and it no longer smells and you expect it to be there. So it's not as bad as you might expect, but also you're purposefully taking the best, right? So you're not just getting what was left over on the ground. You're going for those undercoats, those softer furs. Mm. And so it can be as high of a quality as you're looking for. So, uh, yeah, yeah. there's some out there. Um, If you look up the term Chingora is where you'll see some of the 100% dog furs that are kind of along the lines of like Angora. Um, I'm doing an order now that's using an Alaskan Malamute and you'll see that spun 100% by itself a lot because it is so soft and fluffy. If you look up these dogs, they're like white poof balls. And I honestly could spin this fur by itself. It is so similar to wool that 
I wouldn't need to blend it if I didn't want to, but I still recommended it to this customer. But yeah, there's, there's a lot that, that it's not as disgusting as it seems, although the spinning part can be, because (laughs) if if you don't get that fur clean, Hmm. I mean, I've come, I've come across some pretty nasty things. So Um, you're pretty much smelling like, like, you're smelling like wet dog. Oh yes. Wet dog. (laughs) And like, especially if I get uh, hair that's been shaved, it's better to get it groomed and brushed off. But if you get Mm. it shaved, sometimes they'll nick like a cut, you know, and and, like you get little scabbies. That's probably the worst. (laughs) So it's not all clean, but in the end it can be really clean and luxurious. Oh, man. And, and, and I mean, it's really it's really what it is to the maker, though, because that's another thing that's interesting. It's not a cheap thing to have your dog's fur turned into yarn because I am hand spinning it. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of technique and effort. Um, but if the customer didn't buy that yarn, it is meaningless to everybody else. That right. is exactly the whole thing here. Yes, it's the the making part of it, the intent behind it, the meaning of the fur yeah. you used, like it may not be meaningful to someone else, like you said, but it's priceless to the person who right. had the meaning to it. Um, again, and just like making a hand knit sweater versus buying one. Yeah, it's you. Uh, that's amazing. And it is so worth it. It's worth every penny. I mean, if I'm in it, I mean, everyone takes their, I'm sorry, not everyone. There's a lot of people who will take their dog for like life-saving treatments that are super expensive and it's just Mm -hmm. it's not about the expense it's about the love it's about how much you care for your animal right and Mm -hmm. for your companion a lot of times they're you know and for a lot of us who practice you know more the metaphysical realm or or witchy realm they we look at them as our spiritual companion as our um you know as someone that like there's a there's a certain wisdom when you look into certain dog's eyes or cat's eyes they look at you kind of like there's a human in there looking back have you ever Mm -hmm. known some dogs that are like that so when you have a pet when you have a really it's beyond a pet when you have a spiritual companion in the form of a dog or a cat or whatever it is there's something priceless about that right so i think it's amazing let me ask you this so for everyone listening and they're like oh my gosh i want rover to like I, I I definitely want that. Like I have this big fluffy dog and mm-hmm. their fur would be amazing. Should they start brushing and collecting the fur now? And what mm. would be your advice for someone who has a beloved pet and already knows like I want something made out of that pet? Yeah, absolutely. That is the best way to go about it is to brush and collect the softest, finest fibers. Most pets, most dogs is what I'm mostly working with, although it could be cats as well. They'll have two coats. They'll have a soft undercoat and an outer coat that's kind of straighter and more coarse hairs. If those get into the mix, when you spin that fiber, they stick straight out and they are the most prickliest fibers. Um, (laughs) I've had some people be concerned that I blend with wool, like, oh, wool's a prickly fiber. And I'm like, oh no, no, no. I, I use very soft Merino with these blends. More often than not, the scratchiness factor comes from those guard hairs from the collection. So I've spun um, dogs that have been shaved and underbrushed. And the best fiber that I've produced has been from people who take that underbrush coat and they slowly collect that fur. And it does, it's a time consuming, dedicated thing, but it, it absolutely is worth it. And you'll have something that you're really excited about. Yeah. Amazing. The whole thing is time and dedication. Again, it goes back to the theory that something that is joyful is something that takes time to get to whatever the end product is. Um, you know, it, it takes time to collect the fur and then have it spun and then ha- or cleaned and brushed and then spun. You know, I mean, there's a lot of steps in between even that, um, let alone then the knitting of the, the item in the end. Um, Absolutely. Oh, and one other thing, (laughs) it's best to keep it in a paper bag because um, it is a natural fiber. It can, certain breeds can felt. So if you keep it in plastic and it gets hot and it gets agitated, it will mat to itself in there and then it's no longer spinnable. Oh, good So paper bag is the best way to go. Ah, Yeah. In a dry, Mm. cool place, probably also, if possible. (laughs) It can't hurt. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So it's almost like Well, okay, so I had two thoughts. One regarding the pets. 
Like when you look into the eyes, Jim, and you see that look, you know, they're called a familiar. Is it called a familiar because they look familiar? Like, is that too literal? <laughs> You're like, oh, maybe do I recognize you or something like that? Am I taking this totally out of context? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't really look up the etymology of that word familiar as a magical tool, but familiars are in folklore thought to be um it's more that they are familiar to me like i mm. am actually becoming a cat like it's kind mm. of like the vampire that can become the bat and fly around and then become the vampire again the bat would be their familiar or i would extend my sight or my vision or my oh. magical presence through the roaming of my black cat that would you know roam around the neighborhood and check up on you know farmer ted and you know the other gotcha. people, all, all the people, right? My familiar would go out and manage some of that. And so that's, mm -hmm. I think, the origin of some of that sort of folklore. Yeah. Today in modern witchcraft or modern practice, um, we often have um, animals around us and our animals have a metaphysical correspondence, right? So you see dogs representing a lot. I mean, if you look up the magical or metaphysical correspondence of dog or metaphysical correspondence of cat mm. um, or of rabbit there basically there are so many different um meanings that you could make it mean anything but cats are <laughs> but we know what they are because they're so connected to us right dogs we there's ideas that dogs might have been the first domesticated you know, companion or, or working animal with humans, right? This sort of like a dog is a, is a man's best friend or a human's best yeah. friend. This idea that dogs were domesticated really early from wolves, you know, you feed a wolf and just over the, over many thousands of years. So we have these very successful, these animals are highly successful in the realm of you know, they're not going extinct. There's plenty of them. And it's because they've allied themselves with humans, right? Mm. And so you Smart. see this, these themes of loyalty. Uh, you see themes around the dog of um, protection, mm. of, um, you know, fair warning, of, of companionship, right? All of them of love, unconditional love, right? Yeah. So these are things that you can weave. Let's say that you have a big Malamute, right? And he's a young, healthy Malamute and, you know, kind of a big dog, definitely need brushed all the time. Mm. You'll have tons of fiber. <laughs> More than you I need. Mean, <laughs> you could knit something for someone who needs protection or who could use companionship, even though it's your own, you know, your own dog, you could do that and have it as a gift for someone. What a precious gift, right? Absolutely. Um, Especially if that so, person knows the dog, right? Oh, I have a story right. about that. Yeah. One of my Tell customers, us. yeah, she had a, her neighbor has a golden doodle that she used to walk for him mm -hmm. and he got cancer oh. and he lost his hair and she sent me in the pet's fur and I spun it into yarn and she knit him a hat once he had lost all his hair. Oh right? my God. <laughs> So definitely it's out there. Oh, and so we so could beautiful. see, I know, but what a cool thing to have a hat as a sign of love, protection, guardianship, right? Mm. And what's what's also cool is knitting a cap. Obviously that would cover someone as they lost their hair for, for uh, during treatment, but that's also our crown chakra. It's also our connection with the divine. And if I think about anyone who has a pet, if you want to see unconditional love, innocence in the form, in, in the way that is a creature completely connected with their higher self and the divine, you only need to look, you know, at a pet. You only need to look into the eyes of your cat or dog or other pet. It's why sometimes um, we get more angry over the abuse of a pet than we do over the best abuse of another human. And I think it's yeah. because we see this the animal as an innocent, mm. as sort of representative of the fool card in the tarot, right? Yeah. And in fact, that's the card with an animal in it, with the, with the dog, right? That's right? So in the Rider-Waite-Smith iconography, we have the fool taking these steps haphazardly into the future, relying on his holding of that white feather, which symbolizes the divine, you know, about to walk off a cliff with nothing but his like immediate belongings and a bindle stiff over his shoulder. 
And the little dog barking like, hey, don't step off the cliff, right? Yep. The dog is white, indicating divine presence and divine mm -hmm. sort of, you know, warning, yep. protective, Good. right? Yep. So it there's all that. this loyalty. So you have this amazing um, sort of like symbolism and archetype of a dog. And mm. I think that that's really, really powerful when we think about using the dog's fur, which again is its code, it's its protection, it's how it shows up, it's how we interact. Pets are called pets because we pet them. <laughs> right? Quite literally, we, yes. We pet their fur, right? If you pet me, I'm going to get a little annoyed pretty quickly. <laughs> but if you pet a dog, <laughs> right? Right. They're your best friend forever. They freaking love it, right? Usually, mm -hmm. usually. Um, so I love that this is, and I think we could do the same for cats, right? If we have this beautiful, you know, Persian cat and, you know, long fur and it's just gorgeous, right? Mm -hmm. What amazing. I, Amanda, would you be open to spinning cat fur? <laughs> I personally would be open, but I am booked. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I am booked. <laughs> let's just say you had an opening in three years, which right. is how long it'll take me to collect my my cat's fur. <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as long as it's something that's long enough to adhere to another fiber that can bring it into yarn form and keep it there, then yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. Yeah. yeah. So the metaphysical correspondences of a cat are what we know about cats independent mm -hmm. you know mysterious. intelligent mysterious <laughs> the occult the unseen they're mm. often connected with the spirit realm cats will sometimes be staring at at the wall and you're like what the hell are you and then they're like oh nothing i was just talking to a spirit and you're like yeah. my cat does weird like they always do that and you ever notice like the dog will be sleeping in the bed, like happy, whatever, but your cat will be walking on your keyboard. Like what yes. you doing? What's happening with their little face up against the, your microphone? Mm, no, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have a cat that does that stare at the wall and you're like, why though? But why though? And always the same spot which is not disconcerting at all. So, <laughs> Is that where the where the blotch is going to start to form in the image? Supposedly that's where <laughs> Just... like a three-year-old girl spirit might hang out. So I don't know, maybe they're best friends. Either way, I haven't seen her, so she's cool. Yeah. Um, so, so bring how... that magic, oh, yeah. <laughs> bringing that magic and mysticism <laughs> in by using, there's a long history of using cat, because cats will lose their whiskers or the outer of their claws that are scratching your couch. You'll find mm. a little... <laughs> stop that you'll find a little like claw or you'll find a cat whisker every so often those are often incorporated into protective uh spells we can mm. put that into a jar um we can put it we can amp up a lot of magical work so a lot of spell work can really use the power of a cat mm. or the archetype of a cat dogs they don't lose their nails that way right they don't slough off you gotta clip them or, or sand them off um, and you don't often find dog whiskers, every so often you can, but a little like bit of that outer hair of dog hair, you can use that in a spell, wrap it around a candle or something. So there's lots of uses for, you know, um, your dog or cat that are already established in magical practice. So I love that this is another way to do that in a way that is so like comfy and awesome. Yeah. And so bummed that you're booked because, you know. <laughs> I know. After People. this, everyone's going to be banging at your door. Yeah. Well, the good thing is I'm putting a video out on how to do it. So if they can't uh, book with me, they can hopefully talk to somebody else that they know that spins and be like, hey, here's this oh. video. There you go. Would Maybe you like they'll pick it up themselves. You never know. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. too. Oh, wonderful. Gosh, that's very kind of you. Always good to pass the information along. Yeah. So let's talk about some other fibers. So we talked about um, how wool can be included in your blends. Since, you know, every animal has their own sort of property and magical elements and this and that, we thought maybe we would talk about some other fibers. So like wool, obviously, is traditionally used. Um, but like alpaca is also really popular, you know, within the crafting in industry in general. Um, have you, do you spin with a lot of alpaca? Just generally, have you had a lot of experience with alpaca at all? Um, I work mostly with wool, but I have spun with alpaca. It has quite different characteristics in the end form, so yeah. I don't always choose it. And especially with dog fur, um, alpaca tends to be hot in this uh, fiber yeah. form. So the wool helps cut that down. But um, yeah, alpaca is a great fiber for spinning. 
it's really soft. It's softer than most wools. But again, that's a generalization. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I certainly hashtag, more I hear about... a hashtag. Yeah. Not all, <laughs> not all alpacas. Yeah, that's right. Yes, <laughs> they are not all equal. They are individual. My husband um, has an alpaca shawl that is amazingly soft it is ridiculous oh my gosh and ultra lightweight i'm sure wow i love that thing so when you say something runs hot excuse me do you mean that when i wear it it holds too much heat and it's very very insulating and so it could be so such a warm material that i would be uncomfortable is that what you mean I mean, you would be uncomfortable in the summer, definitely. Yeah, okay, it just it, doesn't yeah. have as much air. Wool allows you to trap more air, so it breathes much better. But something like alpaca, it, it, it insulates very, very well. It traps all that body heat, and there's not as much breathability. So yeah, you, okay. you'll sweat. And well, there's some wicking properties, but for the most part, you'll, you'll retain your body heat higher right. with alpaca and dog fur. So when I'm hiking in, you know, the northern latitudes in the winter, then yes, I'll take it. Exactly. Yes. You want to go for the really insulating fibers. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the thing um, about alpacas, I recently did a lot of research on this just on the side because I love them. Um, they are like one of nature's most gentle animals. They are like sustainable all on their own. They don't, um, they eat grass, but they chew it. They don't like pull it out. So they just are like clipping it and they have very gentle feet when they run. So they don't crush everything. So they're great for their environment. Um, yeah, they're just, they're really, really, um, a great animal in general. So it's a nice fiber to use, I think, since the animal, um, is kind of a more sustainable, a little bit more ethical, I think. So just and I to love, consider. <laughs> I, I also love the magical uh, correspondences that you found, you know, Katie, a, around like um, the, just that, that spirit of action, adaptability, balance, mm-hmm. community Stamina. diligence, right? Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of what really... the fiber encompasses itself, of course. And with right? the animal, how the animal acts and what the animal does, right? Yeah. So if I wanted to blend something with alpaca i w- i think we could consider that fiber as something that would bring the energy mm. of you know balance diligence adaptability um, mm-hmm. but also a little bit of that kick your back legs and get going action like a little exactly. alpaca might have yep they like to run around and enjoy the breeze on their face they're the cutest oh my they're gosh so cute i know even oh though they're gosh. supposed to well, aren't they the ones that spit or is that llamas <laughs> they, are they both related? do Oh, good. Yeah, because I've been spit on by an alpaca. <laughs> oh, so lucky. So we have evidence, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, it was an unhappy alpaca. I was volunteering at a vet clinic, and the owner had de- decided to try to shear it by themselves with no experience, and they oh. accidentally nicked its chest wide open. <gasps> so the vet had to staple it up, and then they had me follow the poor baby around the office because the owner was gone and we didn't have a cage big enough to contain it. So it was wandering around our office, just dripping. <laughs> so, so they're like, just follow him and try to clean him up. And as soon as I, I tried to wrap my arm around its long, because they have long necks, long neck and, and try to hold its face out of the way so I could clean it up a bit and it was not having it. It quickly unswiveled and spit right in my face. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Oh right in your face. Right in my face. <sighs> yeah. So, yeah, they, they spit. <laughs> well, so they're real cute and kind till they're not is what you're saying. That's well, cute. Well, he was injured. <laughs> I get he was it. injured. I mean, people are the same. I, can't, I don't blame it. <laughs> so funny. Well, we should talk about the, the uh, magical associations of wool. I mean, we've talked a lot about wool, right? Mostly mm-hmm. from sheep. I think wool can come. It's sort of a generic term that I think can mean the coat of many different animals, right? We talk about like this kind of wool or that kind of wool, mm. right? Yeah, certainly British terminology. A, uh, I'm going to go in- to the wool shop. Uh, that is a generalized yarn term over there. So yes, you're correct. Like a Hoover <laughs> is a vacuum. Exactly, mm-hmm. yep. A Kleenex yeah. is a tissue or whatever, yeah. But I think when we think of sheep, you know, um, I love the research that, again, we found which is this idea of, you know, the sheep really connected with springtime, right? Mm. So a lot of the spring, the ideas of spring come from ewes milk. And, you know, this whole idea of like, 
the <clears throat> mid uh, um, January festival of Imbolc or Candlemas, and also the following one of the spring equinox, mm. a lot around like use first milk and and this sort of idea of dairy arts is mm. very much corporate of the springtime. And that brings this idea of rebirth and re- regeneration and yes, like, baby and life season. continues. Yeah. The, the sheep is going to give birth to little sheep, which are, they're not called kids, are they? I forget. Anyway, lambs. to be the lambs. <laughs> oh yeah. Of course they're called lambs. I'm so dumb. So, you know, the little lambs, right? So you have this whole idea there and what you found Katie about, of course, the ram. Yeah. Well, I mean, Aries, obviously, is the ram sign in the Zodiac. Which is the first sign of the Zodiac, which happens in spring. So So that is a really cool thing. So anytime, I mean, it's the most common fiber, but I think as people are knitting with wool, Mm -hmm. bringing bringing the ideas, the imagination as you're knitting of, wow, I'm knitting with wool. This wool comes from a sheep. This is the symbolism of sheep. How is that symbolism of rebirth, fertility, growth, the springtime type of, uh, you know, springing into things, you know, how am I, you know, incorporating that into this piece? And Mm -hmm. that, that's a great sort of knitting meditation as most people are going to be knitting with wool or a wool blend of some kind, right? Absolutely. And the thing about wool, um, and Amanda, I think you'll agree here, is that, you know, people think it's only for winter, but it actually is great for summer too because yeah, I mean you don't want to like a huge thick wool sweater perhaps, but um, like socks made out of wool are really great because they are naturally wicking as a fiber. Um, wool hates to absorb water, um, so it's uh, it's also naturally flame retardant. It will put itself out, um, which is also why it's great for kids. Um, So it's actually more breathable than a lot of people get it credit for. And it is naturally um, stink resistant. So it does not absorb odor like a synthetic will. So it is a magical fiber, whether it knows it or not. (laughs) You know that that whenever you go to an outdoor store, you know, whenever you go to an outdoor retailer, Mm -hmm. you see that a lot of the hiking gear is, if it's not polyester, which I'm not a fan of plastic fibers. If you want a natural fiber for outdoor use and for hiking and all the things, there are wool uh, short sleeve, like Hawaiian shirts made of a really beautiful wool woven fabric, right? I own several of them. Um, Undergarments, you can find, you know, close to the skin, you know, base layers that are wool and super soft, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, it's, you know, it's really important for, and I think, most people might know this, but it's good to be reminded that wool can be woven or spun in very fine, you know, uh, mm-hmm. threads that can be used and and just like anything else. My my partner, Mike Michael, he's an avid hiker. He's done portions of the Pacific Crest Trail and other things, and he says, and what a lot of hikers, I believe, say is cotton kills. Yes, because if you have cotton, you're going to get sopping wet and potentially be at risk for hypothermia, whereas wool has far less of that risk. Yes. And cotton cotton absorbs water, um, and which is great if you want to make like a towel or a dishcloth or a summer garment that you're using just to like, you know, breeze about in. But if you're doing anything that has agitation, at, like if you're hiking in uh, jeans and a cotton t-shirt and you are sweating through them, you're going to have blisters any place where your body's moving against all of that wet fabric, you're going to have a bad time. So, yeah. Well, it's no. why you don't see cotton swimwear, right? There or you the go. people that wear the t-shirts in the pool and they just like... <laughs> yeah, they're Absolutely. just clung. Yes. That's actually... Uh, swimsuits were initially made with wool, um, which sounds horrible because I can't imagine what the wool quality back then was like. Uh, it's much better now, but yeah... There you go, because it was not absorbent. So yeah. a modern wool uh, in a swimsuit would be awesome, though. Oh, I'm you know? sure there's knit and crochet versions out there. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of woven fabrics, but for sure. That would probably uh, be more secure. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's talk about cotton, because that's one of the uh, 
you know, plants that were, that produces a fiber, right? Mm -hmm. And cotton has a lot of mystery around it. People hear words like Egyptian cotton and they hear uh, Pima cotton, right? Mm. And we have a long history in this country of oppression around the cash crop of cotton and the slave trade. Mm. Cotton comes from subtropical locations around the world. It's not necessarily native to, uh, it's, it's one of those plants that is really everywhere. Um, in the United States, there was, uh, we think of the South being a big cotton producing area, but actually Arizona is the largest producer of cotton in the United States. And that's Pima County and the Pima Indians are, are, that is where the word Pima comes from, which is a cotton with a slightly longer length, you know, fiber. And then Egyptian cotton, which most things labeled Egyptian cotton, we've discovered are not really Egyptian cotton when they do DNA testing on it. Escandalo. Escandalo. <laughs> um, but when you can get good Egyptian cotton, it's grown in the Nile River Valley and it's really long fibers and really mm -hmm. soft. And so you get these amazing things from cotton. Um, so that's just a little bit of what I've researched. Do you mm -hmm. have more? I mean, we just talked about how cotton is appropriate, is absorbing water. It's, isn't it a little less elastic than animal fiber, like than wool? Right? Yeah, especially when it's wet. Uh, if it gets wet and you pull it, it will stretch out, which is probably why if you've ever worn the same t-shirt like twice or you've realized your jeans are a wash and wear type thing because every time you wear them the waistband stretches out over the time course of the day you know that's a, a very cotton um quality now i don't personally have um a lot of spinning experience but i did used to work with a woman who grew her own cotton and spun it and she said it was extremely difficult because it was really short i don't know if you have any um experience with that but uh i have to imagine it, it's gonna be difficult more like uh, the animal fur <laughs> yeah shorter staple lengths like that because cotton can be just a couple inches long unless you're talking about like that piment egyptian that's a little bit longer um it can be difficult to you draft fiber when you spin it so you pull it apart but your fingers are already so big that uh. yeah so you have to do a very specific spinning method where it the twist enters into your fiber supply and you're not drafting it you're letting the twist that enters the supply do the pulling for you and so it's it's called long draw um, when you spin like that and um, the only way I've ever been able to successfully spin cotton is with a supported spindle and you have to spin that way on supported spindles as far as I know there may be some exceptions to this but um, yeah it was very difficult it likes to spin very fine and considering how long it takes to hand spin something it's just something that you don't typically see a lot of because it's several 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 hours mm. to just spin one fine thread and if you're not looking for something that's lace weight and you want something plied for durability, Ooh. you're you're it's really a commitment. But again, if that's what you're into and you and you're focusing on that and that's what your intention is for, or maybe yeah. you just need a little bit. I mean, I can imagine, especially if you grew it yourself, it's a lot more meaningful because you took sure. that time to care for that plant and you know, you, you did the from scratch process. It's a labor of love. <laughs> well, if you had if you had cotton, couldn't you also do other things with it, like perhaps felt it, or I don't know if cotton will felt, but that I, would be interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it will felt maybe traditionally like a um, like a wool would, but I know you could like press it into like paper and things like that. So, you know, maybe not hmm. felted per se, but um, I think it could be purposed in a similar fashion into something kind of close. Right. Um, yeah. Well, certainly so. the the you know, dried plant, very prickly, um, mm. with the cotton ball in those like dried sort of almost like a poppy mm. type of, of shell is very beautiful. I mean, it's a really distinctive plant. There's a lot of history behind the cotton plant. Mm. Um, so using the either the plant by itself or cotton fiber or that's already woven or something like that, if you have your own cotton and decide to do something with it and experiment, you know, a lot of cotton is grown, again, in very dry and hot climates. Mm. And so it makes sense that cotton is associated with bringing rain and, you know, those types of things. So 
it's fascinating that cotton absorbs water and it has sort of a relationship with water. So when I think about it magically, I can think about like, oh, this is something that brings healing, protection, luck, wealth, prosperity, and that it is rainmaking. And so if you think about prosperity um, being connected to rain and sort of this idea that we have, like, make it rain, right? Um, Meaning let the dollars fall, right? Yeah, let the crops grow. Hopefully yeah. they're 20s or hundreds and not just singles, but whatever. <laughs> but that is... But I'll take any something. flying money. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> any flying money is fine. So I think that that's a cool thing. And you did some research and found that cotton is connected with uh, the feminine or the mm-hmm. moon. Yeah. And I kind of, I was like, I wonder why. But then I I was thinking about it, like, in a, again, a more updated literal sense. And I thought, well, you know, the moon and women, it's like, is it sort of like a period cycle? Is it a menstrual thing? You know, we are connected mm. with that sort of thing. We are very earthbound because of that. I mean, things we use for menstrual, you know, hygiene quite often are made of cotton, you know, for absorbency and... um how clean it can be. So, so yeah, I mean, I really do believe it has a connection and a modern connection at that. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And I think it's important to look at how the plant grows in a cycle of the seasons, right? Mm. And it's absorbent. And it is a very, very common fabric. We're mm. all probably wearing cotton. I am today, yeah. right? And it's a very comfortable and cool fabric to wear. Um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, um, it's also nice that it's usually fairly inexpensive. Um, and as a knitter who used to work or live and work in Florida, um, I really appreciate now the expanse of fibers we have available for us. Um, because, you know, back in the day, acrylic or not great quality wool was all that was available. Um, so I can't imagine living in Florida and just like knitting with wool and acrylic all the time it would be like very limiting i think and now we have things not only like cotton but like also linen is a great fiber um one that i enjoy working with although can be talk about not having an elastic hand this does not have an elastic hand and it also is typically quite rough on the hand but the finished products are so good so good (laughs) amanda have you ever uh spun linen I have not. That is the fiber I haven't tried yet. Yeah, I have not spun flax. It, it's a little intimidating. <laughs> yeah, it looks very rustic in its um, like natural state at two. Yeah. 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 The the my understanding is that they're very um, they're the flax fiber. The research I did has flax fibers that are like three times as strong as cotton Mm. and they're smooth and straight a little bit longer and you know they can lay really beautifully um the flax as a um like we think of someone with flax and hair being a blonde haired person because the fibers are often a light yellow in color sort of the natural color is that that blonde sort of color um and there's a lot of magical correspondences with the with the um with the plant, with uh, flax, hmm. um, righteousness, purity, um, elegance, luxury, but also psychic powers. So a lot of the stuff around beauty and, you know, and like it, because it doesn't cause sweat because it breathes. Hmm. It's also a plant that grows outside of the trop- of the subtropical dry, hot areas. And so it's one of the first plant fibers that was used in the steppes of Russia and in the uh, sort of Slovak area for uh, Mm. spinning and for making fabric. Um, So there's evidence of people wearing linen uh, way, way back, way back um, when when it was available. So I think that that's a very cool um, thing that it has a very long history that people figured out, you know, how to- Ancient fiber. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we have the we have the the fairy tale right of Sleeping Beauty right she was or was it Sleeping Beauty or was it Rumpelstiltskin it was someone where I think Sleeping yeah. Beauty was told to spin spin the flax spin the flax mm-hmm. she pricked her finger on the on a part of the spinning wheel yep. which everyone is like what part of the spinning wheel would that be um, but earlier, be earlier versions of that before the spinning wheel was invented, she pricked her finger on a, the woody stem 
of the flax, which separates oh. from the fiber as you process it, right? And go. so her finger was pricked by the woody stem. And there were the earlier versions where children had to suck the her finger to get the fiber out or something strange like that. Oh. And she fell into a slumber, you know, until Ooh. she was awoken. I love a good weird fairy tale. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure that inspired a lot of kids to get into spinning <clears throat> back in the day. So that's good. <laughs> no when you say hand spinning, Amanda, do you mean with a drop spindle or do you mean, is there another way to do it? Are you yeah, rubbing fiber I mean, against a table? I mean, I guess <laughs> I you, I mean, you don't want to rub it against a table because you could are maybe you it felt between, it. <laughs> between your hands? <laughs> no, um, I just mean uh, using some kind of tool with your hand. So yeah, it could be a drop spindle. It could be a spinning wheel, whether it's a more traditional style or even an electric spinning wheel. You can make makeshift spindles. Um, I've seen people spin yarn with pencils. <laughs> so there you go. yeah, you can anything, any sort of tool to help you get twist in that fiber faster, but you're doing all the drafting by hand versus a machine that's going to do all that for you super quickly. Mm. I see. I see. It's like uh, even machine knitters are technically knitting by hand because they are the ones still having to pass the, you know, little shuttly thing back and forth to actually make the stitches happen. So, you know, nuances, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So cool. Yeah. Um, so Should we talk um, about two more fab, two more fiber types? I think so. So these That's are good. some some good ones to touch base on. So first, I think we should touch base real quick on silk. Um, silk is a very interesting fiber. <laughs> I have mixed feelings on it personally. Um, I the fiber itself is awesome. It's you know super strong. It's shiny. It's lightweight. It's durable. Um, it's expensive, but the way it is harvested uh, is not always so appealing. So <laughs> because so how it's done is the uh, silk worm, which actually makes the cocoon uh, in silk, is then all the cocoons are taken and boiled. So the uh, worm inside, unfortunately, doesn't make it, and they are. They do this on purpose so that the worm cannot break through the fibers because they want to take it all off on one long fiber. So, so the production of silk requires um, the boiling alive, you know, an, a, a creature, and yeah. so that that is definitely something to think about. Is how does that work with your ethics? Definitely yeah. not vegan or vegetarian in that for that matter. Yeah, it comes with a little debt, so. Right. Uh, you know, so take that with what you will, but um, but the fabric it offers is again like a really magical fiber. Um, people use it for all sorts of skincare regimens. Um, it's you know, it's luxury. It's um, insulating. It's one of the warmest fibers um, on the planet because it's um, you know from this animal, and they can be made so thin. Um, it's really a magical fiber. I don't. I'm guessing you probably have not spun with silk, um, but perhaps you have. <laughs> I have. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I have. What was that like? Um, it's really nice. It's not. It's unusual compared to other fibers because, you, like you mentioned, they they unfortunately boil the animals in there, so that you get these long lengths of fiber. So instead of your hands drafting a couple inches apart, you can be feet apart mm. pulling these fibers, um, which is what part of what makes the silk so durable. Um, I spun 100% silk hankies, they call them, and they're mm. like stacked layers of silk and you pull off a little sheet and draft it out. Um, and then I've also spun blends with silk in them, which are a little easier to blend. There's not as much silk content, mm. um, but you do have to stay mindful. The most difficult one was an alpaca silk blend because the silk is such long staple and the alpaca is oh. much shorter. I would find myself, um, once that twist gets into your fiber, it starts pulling. Mm. So it would pull the silk from way back here. And then I'd have this tiny little bit of alpaca just like bunching up while the silk was trying to pull and it was grabbing the alpaca from the back. It just was not a pleasant experience and it was definitely a learning experience. Um, but yeah, silk, it has amazing properties despite the way it's harvested um, and mm. it, it, it 
it can lend great properties to the final product, but at a cost. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, with that, let's have a quick break as I go grab my dog, who you can probably hear in the background, and we'll be right back. Pardon the interruption, but here's a special message from, well, us. Hey, Magical Makers. Are you looking for a fun summertime project? Try my No Sweat Mason Cozies, now available in two different sizes. You can save 50% on this pattern through July 31st by using the code NITISPELL, that's all one word, on Ravelry at checkout. These beverage covers not only keep your hands dry, they're also a fun way to identify whose drink belongs to who. Cheers! Hey Jim, let's talk about a palm reading for a sec. Oh yeah, my favorite topic. So I don't think a lot of people necessarily think of getting a palm reading, uh, but my palm reading with you was awesome and it actually helped with a lot of preconceived notions that I had of the craft before now. Oh, you had preconceived notions about palmistry? What were yeah. they? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm pretty literal. So I thought having a short lifeline might mean you have a short life. Right. And that a star on your palm is bad. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Both of those are common. You know, a short lifeline does not mean a short life. It actually means a life of uh, connection with the divine and learning and creating type of life. And a star in your palm is a sign of spiritual gift. Those are two things that are dispelled right away. I know there's a lot of things on the palm that people think are good or bad, right? There's nothing inherently negative in your palm. You can use all the tools, all the markings. They are associated with your strengths, your personality, and things you can use in your life. Absolutely. I really love that modern take on palmistry, and it actually really resonated in my reading. I think everyone would enjoy a reading from you. And dear listener, if you too would like a fantastic experience that offers insight, direction, and clarity, I highly suggest booking a session with my dear friend, James Divine, and you can find more information at thedivinedhand.com. Thanks for listening. Let's jump back into our episode. And we're back. And I brought a special guest with me. If anybody is watching the YouTube channel to see our video, my little dog Pancakes came to visit. She hates not, being uh, not, not one, not one pancake. That's right. The but whole a stack, stack. Yes. of pancakes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, so we were talking about silk. And the magical connections of silk. Mm-hmm. Again, wealth, luxury right? Mm-hmm. Prestige. But there's also this idea of uh, transformation because it's a, um, a cocoon of, mm-hmm. a, of a caterpillar that becomes a silk moth. Um, so we have a lot of this amazing, as you're working with silk, you can bring, you know, those ideas in. And there is silk that I think is made um, after the, that, that is, made after the silkworm breaks out and it's thought of as a less as a lower quality silk is that true yeah so um raw silk or uh silk noils also uh are sometimes like uh when the animal is actually let to break through and live and all of that um it breaks the fibers but you know they'll just use them as shorter fibers so um, it's not quite as smooth um, or shiny of a fabric because of that uh, just because that's how the light catches it but um, but it's it's a more ethical silk I would say and it's probably uh, less expensive as well yeah so, great yeah. okay so that's an alternative for to bring the magical intention in mm-hmm. and still have something that might be you yeah. know less stomach turning right yeah get the benefits mm-hmm. of the fiber without the yeah. yeah, less desirable elements, indeed. Right. Yeah, so, well, talking about less desirable yarns, <laughs> although they're very affordable. Yes. Plastic. Yes. We are yeah. finding that plastic is a problem in our planet. That it's floating in the oceans. That there are micro microplastics that are truly microscopic. There was just an article about them being part of the dust that is blowing around the planet is now mm. super microfibers from microfiber fabrics. And also in your wash, as you wash those mm. super plushy baby blankets that are made of 
polyester and acrylic, those teeny little microfibers are going down the drain and into the water and into the oceans. Mm -hmm. That along with the larger plastics that break down and break down and break down into plastic pellets everywhere, we're we're definitely polluting ourselves with this unearthed petroleum product. That's my little sermon on plastic. Yeah. But isn't plastic and polyester and nylon and acrylic yarns like the most common that are sold in big box stores? They are popular fibers. Um, A lot to do because they are affordable and they're easy to care for. Um, And again, ease, something that's easy isn't always the best choice. Um, it's just like treating uh, wool yarns with superwash. Superwash is a uh, chemical treatment process that applies glue to the fibers on um, on the wool so that the scales uh, are like stuck in and they won't felt against each other when they're washed. Um, but essentially, it is a chemical treatment process on your natural, you know, wool. It'll wash off eventually. You know, it's it is there. Um, so it's a reality of a choice that we make. Um, whether it's the best choice or not, I guess, is up to the person. But um, I think a lot of people don't even realize how it's made, what the impact is to even consider, um, you know, is it the best option for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and we all have those heirloom Afghans that grandma knitted that yeah. are on the back of the couch and we'll keep them forever. And we also find them at, um, you know, Goodwill Good, a lot, yes. but they're not always the most comfortable. Like they're that feeling of that seventies acrylic. Yeah. It's uh, I call mm-hmm. it squeaky. It's like a squeaky kind of feel. And that also is usually quite pilly. Um, <clears throat> even though I think that technology has come forward a lot in terms of making a better synthetic fiber, um, in terms of what works better. Um, again, just the process that has to be done to make it into an existence. It's another one where you may not be paying a lot for that yarn, but is there a lot of debt attached to that yarn? Yeah. There's environmental debt, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, good thing we have recycled acrylic yarns, right? Yes. And and go. <laughs> Amanda, do you know the, the myth of recycled acrylic yarns? I, I do not. I This Ooh. is the first I'm hearing of it, so I'm interested. So it's not really a myth, perhaps. It's more of a misunderstanding um, that all fibers that are recycled are good for the environment um, and, and things like that. And in... To a degree, yes, you can be making something that was, you know, a plastic product into a yarn. However, you still have to process that item to make it into the yarn. So it's not like it is a zero impact um, product. In a lot of cases, it's actually more of a harm um, to have to make it into this new product um, because of the process that it has to be um you know liquidated and then re-extruded and spun and all of that so it's it's causing a bigger footprint in the end than it's saving so and that's something that's really hard to track in your yarn you know how do you find out where it's coming from and even like the manufacturers have to trust you know what their suppliers are telling them you know i worked in this industry i had a lot of conversations with people about where things were coming from um, because people are wanting to know more and they should want to know where it's coming from. So um, supply chain tracking on that is so hard. Yeah. Here's something though, that it would be, I think the most ethical is going to Goodwill or other sort of secondhand shops, buying acrylic sweaters and making them into like taking Mm. the, knit already done acrylic sweaters and making them into mm-hmm. I've seen people make really amazing magical garments out of piece piece work that is then sewn together 
<clears throat> all different color work that is done. These designs of cloaks or long coats or shawls or things like that. I've seen some amazing work and that isn't recycling, that's reusing. Mm -hmm. And yes. in that sense, I think that there's a way to keep the plastic sort of um, are going to last for a very long time, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to make, if I'm going to use acrylic sweaters to make a magical garment, the magical correspondence of that would be like modernism, futurism. I think it brings some of that ideas around, um, you know, mastery and power, sort of the, those types of energies to it. So I think you can use these acrylics um, in a magical way, uh, certainly, especially if you think about um, a form of reuse mm. as opposed to buying new, you know, skeins or shanks of yarn that are, you know, new to the market, either whether they are uh, recycled Coke bottles or um, plastic, recycled plastic bottles or whether it's raw, you right. know, new, new material. In, in any case, I think it's worth considering um, the ethics of where our fibers come from in Absolutely. all of these cases, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we even know? And you started to touch on this, working at a yarn shop, working at a maker shop, both of you, and having this experience, how do I as a consumer best figure out how to have an ethical fiber? Mm -hmm. you have thoughts about that, Amanda? I mean, it really comes down to doing the research because I find more often than not, like Katie mentioned earlier, it's hard to get that information from the supplier, which then the production company is trying to share what they then know, especially when these fibers are imported. It, it's really, it crosses those areas of international questioning. And so, I mean, you just have, you have to do the research. I highly recommend um, doing a little bit of Google research yourself on actually watching the process of these synthetic or even biosynthetic fibers being made. That was kind of the first eye-opening experience for me is watching how bamboo actually becomes a spinnable fiber mm -hmm. was like, I had no idea. I thought bamboo was kind of like how flax becomes linen and it's absolutely not. It's very much along the lines of how um, you know, resin-based polymers become acrylic yarn. Yes. So um, I highly recommend looking that up and watching those videos. Oh, right. Knowledge so is some, power. Yes. Some natural or vegan yarns are viscose or they're rayon or something like that. But those are, I think of them as wood pulp or some sort of wood fiber. Mm. But you, but when I do research, I realize Oh my gosh, the, the, the plastic, the petroleum based processing that has mm -hmm. to happen and the carbon footprint of those fibers are almost as bad as, if not as bad as acrylic. Yeah. Yep. Fascinating. Exactly. And again, not that it's unavoidable for everything, um, but at least knowing the choices that you're making, um, is impactful. So yeah, and if you can make a choice that's just one step closer to mm -hmm. ideal, you don't have to go all the way there. But if you can start to consider, if we can start mm -hmm. to consider it and make one choice that's a little better, even if it's going from pure acrylic to a blend, maybe it's just saying, there okay, well, I'm, at least I'm just going to use wool or something, or I'm going to learn. You know, that that can be a step in the right direction, right? Mm -hmm. And that's I think all that we could consider is we're also saying if you can knit with a little knit crochet make uh weave you know uh make with a little bit of intent a little bit mm -hmm. of magical intent that's also a really cool thing to try and to exactly. incorporate right yep. and when we talk about spinning your dog or cat's fur into yarn i mean mm -hmm. That is so magical do you ever feel amanda do you ever have like a magical experience or a a connection as you're spinning it must be very meditative do you ever have a, a magical experience or metaphysical experience while doing that i think yeah spinning in general it for me definitely is a very meditative process it's the slow 
repetitive movement that your body gets used to, which Mm. kind of frees up your mind. And so spinning in general, I love for that reason. And I think it can be very magical for that reason alone. Um, But then throwing in something like those animal fibers, even if it wasn't my pet, um, just knowing that that the not back to the knowledge is power, knowing where it came from, knowing what it's for and how much it means to the person I'm making it for it is why I'm able to do it. Like I said, some of this fur isn't clean and there's some unpleasant processes to it, but it's the end result. Mm. It's, it's what you're providing for someone. And there's nothing more special than that. Oh, that is so wonderful. All right. Well, if you would like to get on Amanda's waiting list, uh, (laughs) you can find out more about her offerings at mandobugcrafts.com and you can find more about her woolly fur there. Oh, Amanda, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for being our first guest. Yeah, this has been great. I really appreciated it. Thank you guys so much. Yes. So fantastic to meet you. I just love it. It's amazing. Yeah, I think I learned a lot. I don't know about you, Jim. (laughs) Oh, I feel like I can go and spin now. I'm ready. Do it. I mean, all I have is the comb that I comb my hair with, but I'm ready. That's step one. I'm ready awesome. to ask Amanda to like spin for me. I think that's a little more, but I'm a, I'll have to be on the waiting list. That's Start right. collecting. <laughs> yeah, that's so right. So let's just make sure Mando Bug, M-A-N-D-O, and then Bug, like B-U-G, right? Absolutely, right. yeah. Mando Bug, yeah. Well, yep. we'll put links in the description. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. I hope you've loved this episode as much as we've loved being here and talking. Right. Yes, we'll see you next week, everybody. So long. Bye. This episode is a wrap. If you enjoyed what you heard, go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. And don't forget, you can see full video episodes of Knit a Spell on Light from Lantern's YouTube channel.